last book in the in the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, we'd like to loan you one of ours. All you have to do is raise your hand real high and our ushers will come by and give you or loan you, I should say, one of our Bibles. The scriptures are on the screens. Uh, but it's just, I think there's just a blessing holding a Bible in your lap, opening it up. We, we must never get away from the Bible. You understand that? We must stay in the Bible. And, uh, just a blessing comes, I think, when you have, have one there and you're opening it. Um, and so if you didn't bring one, you use one of ours. We just ask you leave it on the seat when you leave today so we can use it again next time. Now, in Revelation, the, uh, second chapter, uh, we'll be reading from there in just a moment. I've learned this as I've lived life many, many years now, that uh, in pastoring a church, you know, you, you learn that and you observe that people fall into one of two groups, fall into one of two groups, either overcomer or overcome, overcomer or overcome, and titling this message today, Overcome, and you know, we're either going to overcome the situations of life or the situations of life are going to overcome us. Did you hear me? We will either overcome the situations of life or the situations of life are going to overcome us. We fall into one of those two categories, either overcomer or overcome. Now, my observation over the many years dealing with Christians from all walks of life and just whatnot, the, the majority of the time I've noticed Christians are overcome by the situations of life. But you know that's not the way God wants it to be. He wants us to overcome the situations of life. So today, I want to teach you how to be in the group that overcomes. How to be in the group that overcomes the situations of life. Now here in Revelation... Chapters 2 and 3, Jesus, chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is talking to the church. And then he talks about special rewards for overcomers. And notice he's talking to Christians. He's talking to the church. And there's seven churches. He's talking to the churches. And then he's talking about special rewards for those who overcome. I just want to look at a few of those here today. Look at Revelation chapter 2 verse 7. Revelation chapter 2 verse 7, notice what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who what? Overcomes, Overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now then look at verse 11, Revelation chapter 2 verse 11, speaking to the church in Smyrna, Jesus says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. That's talking about the lake of fire. Now notice in verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17, he's talking to the church in Pergamos and he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. That sounds like a really pretty cool reward there. Now then if you look at 
uh, verse 26 to the church in Thyatira, he says this. And he who, what? Overcomes and keeps my works until the end. Notice that. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. To him I will give power over the nations. He'll rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. Again, that's pretty pretty good there, I'd say. Now then look at chapter 3 and verse 5 to the church in Sardis. Notice what Jesus says. Chapter 3, verse 5. He who, what? Overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now notice in verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12. To the church in Philadelphia, Jesus says. He who, what? Overcomes. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. That's, that's, that's real good too, isn't it? And then the last one here in chapter 3, verse 21, chapter 3, verse 21, to the church in Laodicea, he says this, to him who what? overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne wow to him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne I mean that is big time there how many like that one to sit with Jesus on his throne now watch this to him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame did Jesus in his earthly ministry ministry did he overcome some things as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne now as you study these rewards of the overcomer it should be noted that some of the rewards are bestowed and some are acquired if you go back and you study that those seven churches You'll notice that the rewards of the overcomer, it should be noted that some are bestowed and some are acquired. In other words, look, look right here at 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 and, and I'll explain that statement. Some are bestowed and some are acquired. Notice in 1 John chapter 5 verse 4. For whatever, we could say whoever, for whoever is born of God, what's that next word? Overcomes the world. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, the being born of God, being born again, that's nothing that we can acquire on our own. That's a free gift from God, isn't it? Is it not? 
And, and so we would say that that is bestowed upon us. When we, you know, repent of our sins and, and, and receive Jesus, the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. We're not saved by works. We're saved by his grace. We get born again, totally apart from anything we could do. It's totally what Jesus did. So when we... When we make Jesus the Lord of our life, we become born again, and that that's bestowed upon us. And when that's bestowed upon us, God sees us as an overcomer. Did you hear? Did you hear me? Amen. And and if you go back and you look at the seven churches that we we talked about, remember the one that talked about escaping the lake of fire. Remember that one. See, that's something that is bestowed upon us when we get born again. Did you hear me? We'll miss hell. That's wonderful. There's nothing we can do to acquire missing hell. That's bestowed upon us as a free gift. But if you look at some of those other rewards that we we noted in there, it, it has to do, remember where he said, and he who keeps my works, or we could say he who keeps my words to the end, that's something that, is acquired. And so there's rewards that are bestowed and there are rewards that are acquired. And so, obviously, the ones that are bestowed, there's nothing we can do to receive those. That We get those when we get saved. But the ones that are acquired, which we're going to spend the bulk of our time on here this morning, these are the areas in which I see so many Christians defeated in. And they're overcome instead of overcoming and so that's what i want to look at here as we read on now watch this for whoever's born of god overcomes the world see when you get born again you have the power within you the power of god within you to overcome the world but then you have to do some things as we'll see to acquire the rewards of the overcomer you see notice this whoever's born of god overcomes the world and then watch this and this is the victory that overcomes the world even our what our faith, even our faith. So you see, this is acquired. As we'll see as we go on here, to be an overcomer and to acquire some of those rewards that were mentioned there in Revelation 2 and 3, you're going to have to live by faith. You're going to have to learn how to live by faith. You're going to have to to be a person of faith to overcome in this world in which we live. And when you learn to live by faith then you you be, you become you receive the, the 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 blessings of god you you become an overcomer and then you'll acquire some rewards so notice the born of god part there has to has to do with with bestowing something that we can't work for but then it says the vic- this is the victory that overcomes the world our what our what our our what our faith and then in verse 5 who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, that has to do with something that's bestowed. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? When you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you get born again, don't you? And, and then God sees you as an overcomer. He empowers you to overcome. But to, and, and there's certain rewards that come with that. But then to get the other rewards, you're going to have to learn how to live by faith. How many of you just want some of what God has or you want all of what God has? How many just want some or you want all? I'd like to get it all. See, if we get born again and that's all, that's all we ever do, then there's some rewards we're going to get. Like missing hell, making heaven. Well, isn't that wonderful? 
And if that's all we got, that's wonderful. But I don't just want the rewards that are bestowed. I would like to acquire some. How about you? How about having that new stone or whatever he talked about there? Having that new name? Or how about giving authority over the nations? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, those are things that we don't get bestowed on us. Those are things that we acquire through, as we've seen here, living by faith. I do want to note at this time, since we're here in 1 John, notice if you would, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Go there, because we talk about overcoming the world, overcoming the world, overcoming the world. What does it mean to overcome the world? Notice here, in 1 John 2, 16, uh, we see that all that is in the world, the what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. How many of you have ever had problems with your flesh since you've gotten born again? Yeah, he's thinking sexual stuff. Yeah, that could be. How many of you know we ought to be faithful to our spouse? How many of you know if we're not married yet, we ought to, we ought to live right sexually? Is that right? But then you see a lot of times people think about sexual stuff. How about, how about eating a dozen, a dozen uh, Krispy Kreme donuts? Have you ever had trouble with that? How many of you know that's not good for you? Boy, it gets real quiet when you start picking on the Krispy Kremes. Have you ever had trouble with your flesh? Have you ever wanted to gossip or say something bad about somebody? You know, and it goes on and on and on. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, being prideful or boastful, much we could say. You see, God expects us to overcome these things. And see, when we get born again, you know, as I said, we, we have the ability then to overcome, but then there's some things we're going to have to do to, to overcome to get the full reward. Now, notice if you would, having said that, look at Revelation, back to the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 11. Why are Christians not overcoming? Why are they not overcoming? Now, as we've said, when you get, when you become a Christian, you, over, you, you overcome, you know, things are bestowed on you and all that. We've talked about that. But now what I'm talking about is these other things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These other, these, these, uh, these other things. When, when people come against us and the devil attacks us. Why are Christians not overcoming? I'm going to give you five reasons here in the rest of this message. Five reasons. So if you're a note taker, you'll want to write these down. But let's read this verse first. Revelation 12, 11. And they, what's that next word? Overcame. overcame him. That's talking about the devil. And they overcame him. They overcame the devil. And everything that, de- that that's talking about, not just the devil, but everything the devil has to offer. How many of you know he doesn't have anything good to offer? How many of you know he has sickness and disease to offer? Is that right? How many of you know he has defeat to offer? Is that right? How many of you, how many of you know that, that he has oppression and depression and, and blue Mondays to offer? Is that right? How many of you like to overcome the blue Mondays? How many of you like to overcome sickness and disease and so on? You see, it says they overcame him. Now, it's going to tell us here how they overcame him. By the what? The blood of the Lamb. Now, let's stop right there. By the blood of the Lamb. Well, that's talking about the new birth, isn't it? When we get saved, we're washed in the blood of Jesus. You know, it's a spiritual washing. You understand that? We get born again. That's talking about the the new birth there. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Praise God. That's something that is bestowed upon us. Nothing that we can do to earn that. 
Amen. But there's an and in there, isn't there? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the what? The word of their testimony. Now, much we could say and we'll say about that. That has to do with, in part, living by faith. And did you know over all these years, I've, I've always quoted that, you know, and, and I've heard other preachers quote it and Christians say they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Did you ever notice there's another and in there? And that and never hardly ever gets talked about. I think we ought to mention it here today. And they did not love their lives to the death What does that mean? That's talking about Christians that are totally and completely sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know most Christians I've met over the years are not totally and completely sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ? They want just enough of Jesus to miss hell and make heaven, but that's about all the more of Jesus that they want. Did you hear me? They want just enough of Jesus to miss hell and make heaven so that they can go on living worldly but how many of you know worldly Christians they'll have some rewards as far as the bestowing part but they're not overcomers in the acquiring part are they they're defeated broke busted disgusted huh how many know what I'm talking about I don't want to be part of that group do you So to overcome, yes, first of all, we need to be born again. But then it talks about the word of our testimony. And they did not love their lives unto death. Let's talk about the word of a testimony. The word of their testimony. That has to do with living by faith. If you want to overcome in this world, what did we read just a moment ago? This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Our faith. We're going to have to learn to be people of faith. You're going to have to have a working knowledge of faith. You're going to have to understand how faith operates. Now, I could teach months on this, but how would you like me to give you just about a two-minute summary of how to live by faith? Would you like that? How many would like that? The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Is that right? So to live by faith, well, first of all, What does faith really mean? It means to believe God. That's what faith means. It means to believe God. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So where does faith begin? It begins with what? Hearing the word of God. And the moment that you hear the word of God, you're either going to believe it or you're not. You hear me? You're either going to believe it or you're not. Now, if you choose to believe the word of God, now you're in what we call faith. Did you hear me? Where does faith begin? It begins with hearing the what? The word of God. But you know that everybody that hears the word of God doesn't believe it. So if you hear the word of God and you don't believe it, then you're not in faith, are you? But if you hear the word of God and you believe it, then you're in faith. Is that correct? Did you hear me? Now then when we talk about believing, did you know there's head believing and there's heart believing? Did you know if you believe the word of God in your head and that's all you'd have is head believing, head knowledge, it does you no good. It's not until you sell out to the word of God. 
Head believing, and I've seen so many Christians, they've got head believing. They, they have a mental assent to the word of God. They have a mental assent to it. But until you sell out to the word of God in your heart, you're not in what the Bible calls true Bible faith. So where does faith begin? Faith begins with hearing what? The word of God. And then you have to believe that word and you believe it not just in your head. That's No, where do you have to get it? Down in your heart. And then the next thing I could tell you about faith, that faith does, I tell you what, you can hear the word of God, you can believe it, but if you stop there, it does you very little to no good whatsoever. You know how I know that? Because again and again, I see in the Bible where people heard the word of God, they believed it, but they still were no better off than they were before. I remember the apostle Paul over in the book of Acts, he was teaching and he was teaching in a certain place and there was a man there who was crippled from his mother's womb. How many remember that? And he was teaching and the Bible said that this crippled man heard Paul speaking. And the Bible says that Paul perceived in his heart that the crippled man had faith to be healed. Does anybody remember that? But yet that man was just as crippled as he ever was. He heard the word. He believed it. Paul said he perceived he had faith to be healed, but he's still just as crippled as he ever was. Faith has to be, say this, say released. Faith has to be released. Now, how do you release your faith? Through words or actions. Did you know it's possible to have dead faith? The book of James says faith without corresponding action is dead. I don't want to have dead faith, do you? And then that man that was crippled over there, Paul was preaching the word. The man heard the word. He, Paul knew that he had faith to be healed, but he's just as crippled as he ever was. And then the Bible says, Paul said with a loud voice, rise, stand up straight on your feet. Why do you think Paul used a loud voice? He was trying to get that crippled man to release his faith. And the Bible says the man leaped. You can read it over in the book of Acts. He leaped and he walked. We have to release our faith. I'll give you another one that has to do with salvation. Over in the gospel according to John, there was a group of people that Jesus had been teaching to. And the Bible says they believed on Jesus. You know, it's not enough just to believe on Jesus to get saved. Read your, you've read your Bible, haven't you? The book of Romans says that if we'll believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. And it says over in the gospel according to John that there's a group of people, they heard Jesus, they believed on him, but they refused to confess him because they were afraid they'd be put out of the synagogue for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So is it possible to hear a message about, uh, about salvation and believing on Jesus and believe on him and still die and go to hell? Yeah, because you have to not just believe, you have to release that believing, you have to release that faith through either words and or what? Actions. And so when you hear the gospel message of Jesus, you believe on him, the Bible says you have to confess him as Lord. Did we read a moment ago over there in the book of Revelation that he talked about that one of the rewards of the overcomer is that he would confess us before the angels of God? Remember that? Jesus said, if you won't confess me before men, I won't confess you before the angels and before God. Is that right? But you see, I'm talking about faith. Where does faith begin? Faith begins by hearing and hearing by the what? The word of God. Then once you hear the word of God, you're either going to believe it or you're not. Is that correct? And if you believe it, then you're in faith. But then what do you have to do? You have to release your faith through what? Words and or actions. 
And that's when you receive from God. That's when your faith is no longer dead. That's when it becomes active and operative. And that's when you begin to receive from God. Now, I just told you in five minutes what I could have taken, you know, three, three or four Sundays to tell you. Did you hear me? This is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Listen, you can be saved. Miss Helen, make heaven. But if you don't ever learn to live by faith, you hear me? You're going to be a defeated Christian. Oh, when you die, you'll go to heaven, but you'll live your life down here on the earth in, in defeat. Faith is the only way you can receive from God. Did you hear me? And so I've seen it again and again over the years. People, they're Christians. They love Jesus. They've made him the Lord of their life and all of that. But they're, 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 they're just defeated all the time. They're always, they're always sick. Now, look, if you're here today and you're sick, I'm not putting you down. I've been sick before myself. But how many of you know that God's provided healing through Jesus? Is that right? That's right. And in order to tap into that healing, you need to use your faith. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? How many remembers that woman in the issue of blood? She had bled for 12 years. How many remembers that? And the Bible says when she heard of Jesus... Where does faith begin? It begins by hearing. Is that right? She heard of Jesus and then she came in the, in the crowd, you know, and she touched his garment. Remember that? And the Bible said, for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. How many remembers that? So this woman was sick, wasn't she? It's over in Mark, the fifth chapter. You can read it. She was sick. She heard the word, right? Do you, do you think she believed? How do we know she believed? She said something and she did something. Was she releasing her faith? Yes. Is it, was she? Yes. And then when she touched his garment, how many of you know there were multitudes touching Jesus that day? But remember when, when he said, I perceive power went out of me. Somebody touched me. Remember that? You've read Mark the fifth chapter, haven't you? He said, somebody touched me. Somebody touched me. And one of the disciples said, what do you mean somebody touched you? All these people are touching you. But only one person got anything from him. It was the person who touched him in faith. Do you know people sit in, in, in congregations all throughout this land, week in, week out, week in, week out, week in, week out, and they never hear a message on faith. You, you need to be taught on faith. You need to understand some things about faith. Amen? Amen? Because without faith, you can't please God. You can't receive from God. There's nothing you can receive from God apart from faith. You can't receive healing from God apart from faith. Therefore, you can be, and there's so many people in this land, I'm talking Christians now, they, they have a saving faith on Jesus, all right, but, but, but they're just as sick as a dog. They've been sick that, been sick for years and they'll stay sick because you see, and I believe in good hospitals, good doctors and good medicines, but how many of you know there's some things a doctor can't help you with? Are there some things a doctor can help you with just so far? Is that right? And how many of you know, we, we better understand some things about faith. Because there's people in this land, Christians, they're, 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 they're sick as a dog. And, and they've been taught that it's God's will for them to be sick. Well, if, if I stood up here and taught that it's God's will for you to be sick, you don't have any hope, do you? There's other places teach that it's, it, you're sick for the, the glory of God. I've, I can't find in the Bible where God gets any glory out of you being sick. But you see, you have to first believe that it's the will of God to heal you. Amen? And then, and then, and then when you hear that, you have to believe it, and then you have to act on it. Amen? And then you'll receive your healing, and then, and then sickness won't overcome you, you'll overcome it. Is that right? And we could apply it to prosperity, and when I say prosperity, I don't mean being a gazillion millionaire. Say amen. 
But I am talking about you having your needs met. God wants you to have your needs met. He wants you not only to have your needs met, but he wants you to get to a place where you got some left over to help somebody else. Amen? But if you're always... How many of you know being broke is not the will of God? Is it? I mean, if you've been around here any length of time, I mean, the Bible says God takes pleasure at the prosperity of his servant. You know, there's a lot of Christians in this land that, that are absolutely, totally and completely destitute financially. And it's not the will of God. And they're overcome by, by, by poverty. They're overcome by debt. But you have to believe that God wants you to prosper. I'm not talking about the craziness like you see on a lot of, a lot of Christian television stuff now. How many of you know that's crazy stuff, most of that? Them telling you if you send in $111 on 11-11-11, you'll get a 111-fold return. How many of you know that is absolute stupidity? It's a disgrace to the body of Christ. Did you hear me? I hope most of you are smarter than me. You don't watch that. I got so mad one day, I almost threw my shoe at the television. When some ding-dong was on there promising people, you know, if you send in so much. And my wife said, you know, if people come to our church are smarter than that. They don't watch that stuff. That's my wife there. We ought to listen to our wives every once in a while. But how many of you know? All the time. Except if you're in the Garden of Eden. (laughs) Are you okay? Everybody all right? But how many of you know God does want you to prosper? And how many of you know that if, if you're in debt up to your eyeballs and so on and so forth? Did you ever see that commercial on television some years ago? They haven't run it in a while where this guy is living in this big mansion and he's got this swimming pool in the backyard, you know, and he's got these big cars and, and he's got all this stuff and he's, he's cleaning the pool out and some, and he, and the camera comes in on him and he says, you know, a lot of people ask me how I have all these nice, wonderful things. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. How many's ever seen that? You ever see that commercial? How many of you know God wants you to overcome in the financial realm? I'm not saying you're going to be a millionaire, but he doesn't want you broke all the time. But you see, in order to receive from God, you know, yet you're going to have to understand not just, you know, there's a, there's, there's not just a spiritual side of finances. How many of you know there's a natural side too? How many of you know that if you're, if, if there's more going out than what's coming in, you got a problem financially. Is that right? Is that right? And then, and not only that, you have to have a budget. That's not a dirty word. That's a good word. Realize, say, come on, help. Budget. Budget. Oh, there you go. Amen. Budget. That's the natural side. And then also you need to learn how to believe God and have faith on the spiritual end. You get the natural and the spiritual going together, then good things can begin to happen. Amen. Are you okay? So, so faith. And we could go on and on. So he talks about here, he talks about here by the blood of the Lamb. Look at Revelation 12, 11. We overcome. By the blood of the Lamb, that's something that that new birth has bestowed on us. And by the word of their testimony, that has to do... Remember when we were talking, you say, well, word of their testimony. Well, what did we say just a moment ago? To live by faith, there's a verbal side to it, isn't there? We have to speak what we believe, is that right? And then again, too, word of our testimony. If you're living by faith, faith calls things which be not as though they were. Remember that? How many of you know we ought to have a good testimony when things aren't going so good? Huh? 
Did you hear me? Faith doesn't speak based on the circumstance. Faith speaks based on the word of God. The word of our testimony. You know, you can have a good testimony right in the middle of a test, right in the middle of a trial, right in the middle of a bad circumstance, right in the middle when, when, when your life has fallen apart. You can stand up and say, by faith, just believe in the word of God, that I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. That's through Jesus. Amen? And call those things that be not as though they were. That's, that's, that's having a good testimony. Remember that lady in the Old Testament whose son had died? Remember that? And she got that son supernaturally from God to start with. You know, she was barren and whatnot. I won't get into all that. But then he died. Remember, she came to the prophet of God. Remember, the prophet said, what's going on? What's wrong? And she said, all is well. That's a person of faith, isn't it? Right in the middle of of your life coming apart on every side. We stand there based on the word of God and we say, all is well. Real loud, say, all is well. So that's a person of faith. And so we overcome. See, you start talking the word of God in the midst of tests and trials and things and, and believe in the word of God and, and talk in the word of God. Amen. Praise God. Right in the middle of sickness and disease, right in the middle when it's attacking your body, you stand there and say, you know, do everything you do, need to do in the, in, with the doctors. I believe in good doctors. Do all of that. But from a spiritual standpoint, you stand there in the midst of that and say, by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. Amen? Praise God. Much we could say. See, how how many of you want to overcome the affairs of life? You're going to have to be a person of faith. A person of faith. A person of faith. And then, notice here, by the word of their testimony, and they, and, real loud say, and, they did not love their lives unto what? Unto death. That just means that they're completely sold out to Jesus. The second thing is, and I'll make these quick, the first thing took the longest for me to get through, living by faith. And then the second thing is you're going to have to be completely sold out to Jesus. If you want to be a Christian that overcomes and acquires some rewards from the Lord as an overcomer, you're going to have to be a Christian who is completely sold out to Jesus. You can't just be a Sunday Christian. Come on, say amen. You can't, you can't just, you can't just live right and do right when you're at church. How many of you know that means basically nothing, how you act at church? How many of you all, have you've learned that by now? How you act here at church basically doesn't mean anything. Little to nothing. It's how you act when nobody else is watching you at home that means something. Did you hear what I just said? Huh? And, and to be totally and completely sold out to the Lord Jesus. Not just on Sunday morning, but in every aspect, every area of your life. This is one reason that I've watched it over the years, that Christians are defeated in so many areas of their lives, is because they are not totally and completely sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're what I call a fair-weather Christian. But we don't want to be fair-weather Christians, do we? We need to be Christians, not just when the weather's nice, but when it's snowing and raining and sleeting and hailing and the wind's blowing and the devil's blowing and everybody's howling and the temptations are coming on every side. We need to be sold out to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And then the third thing is, five things. The third thing is, so many Christians have never learned how to resist sin. Go to 2 Peter 2.20. 2 Peter 2.20. Go over there real quick. 
So many Christians have never learned how to resist sin. I'm going to give you about a four or five week study in about five minutes here. Second Peter 2.20. Notice this. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's talking about somebody who's saved there. Right? They've escaped the pollutions of the world. What is that? The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. They've escaped that through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we're talking about a Christian here. They are again what? Entangled in them. And what? And overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Much I could say about this. But again and again, I've watched this over the many years. I've watched Christians who, who are overcome with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Oh, they get born again and they get free of that, you know, but you watch them in time. They get entangled again. They're watching things on TV they shouldn't be watching. They're, 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 they're doing certain things they shouldn't be doing. And, and the thing of it is, is they've never learned how to resist sin, how to resist the temptation to sin. Um, was Jesus ever tempted in his earthly ministry? Yes. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet he never sinned. Is that right? And we see Jesus again and again resisting sin. We saw him in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says, and he was resisting sin to the point that he sweat, as it were, drops of blood. How many remembers that? Now, right away, when you think about Jesus and sinning, see, we think about the sexual stuff or cussing or lying and that kind of thing. But, you know, stepping out of the will of God is sin, isn't it? And Jesus said to the Father, he said, let this cup pass from me. Is that right? If there's any other way, let's do it. Is that right? At that moment, he was, he was in his humanity there, he was looking for another way to get salvation done. And he was tempted with Stepping out of the will of God. Is that right? But he didn't do it, did he? How many of you know in the wilderness, was he tempted in all points like as we are? And was he tempted by the devil? Did he ever sin one time? Absolutely not. And so what I want you to do is I want you to realize that the Bible says real quick. Uh, look at Hebrews 2.18. Go there real quick. Hebrews 2.18. It is worth coming to this message today to listen to this, to learn how to overcome. Look at Hebrews 2.18. For in that he himself has suffered. This is Jesus. He himself suffered being what? Being tempted is able to aid those who are tempted. How many of you know Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, isn't he? And he's sitting there to aid us and help us when we're tempted. Now look at Hebrews 4.15. Look at Hebrews 4.15. Go there very quickly. Hebrews 4.15. Notice what the Bible says. For we do not have a high priest. That's talking about Jesus. Who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But was in all points tempted as we are. Yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to what? To help in time of need. And people have read this for years and they never have gotten it in the right context. Here's what he's talking about. When you're tempted to sin, how many's ever been tempted to sin besides me since you've been saved? And what he's talking about there is to resist sin, we need to go to Jesus in prayer when we're being tempted. How many of you have ever heard a preacher say, well, you've sinned, go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness? Have you ever heard a preacher say that? But how many times have you ever heard a preacher say, run to Jesus before you sin and talk to him about it? Huh? 
We've all heard preachers say, you know, after you've sinned, don't run from him, run to him. But, you know, what about running to Jesus and do what the Bible says? Let's run to him before we sin. Why don't we run to him and say, Lord Jesus, I've been thinking about clicking something on that Internet that I shouldn't be clicking. I've been thinking about talking bad about somebody. I've been thinking about gossiping about somebody. See, that's real unsavory. But how many of you know it's better to run to him and talk to him about it before you do it? Isn't it less embarrassing really to talk to him about it before you do it than after you do it? So if you're ever going to overcome in this area of sin, you and me, we're going, as Christians, we're going to have to learn to go to Jesus before we sin. And he's there sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's ready to help us. The Bible says he's been tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. There's nothing that you can be tempted with that he wasn't already tempted with when he was here on the earth. Can you say amen? amen. And you go to him and you talk to him about it before you sin. And he'll help you, he'll aid you, and he'll keep you from doing things that you shouldn't do. But if you refuse to go to him in prayer and take advantage of that, you're going to wind up being a Christian who, who messes up and overcome. Fourthly, go to Romans 12. I'm almost done. Romans 12, 17. Romans 12, 17. If you want to be a Christian that overcomes, you're going to have to walk in love. Real loud, say, I must walk in love. How many of you know, doesn't the Bible say that faith works by love? We talked about faith a moment ago, didn't we? See, all these things kind of inter, intertwine. You're going to have to walk in love. If you're a Christian that does not walk in love, then you're going to be overcome. Look at Romans 12, 17. Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil. This may be the hardest one yet we've talked about today. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Sometimes it's not possible to live peaceably with somebody. But as much as is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place, uh, but give place to wrath. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Remember when Jesus said, and I've said this again and again, I'm going to say it till you get it. Remember when Jesus said, when you're smote on one cheek, turn the other also? How many remembers him saying that? I used to think, well, he wants me to be a punching bag for the world. No, no, no. He finally got it through to me over the years that when somebody hits me on, a, on, a, on one cheek, if I go put my boxing gloves on, then Jesus isn't going to do anything. He's going to let me fight my own fight. But if somebody hits me on the cheek and I turn to him the other also, then guess who puts their boxing gloves on? Jesus. And he'll fight for me. And I'd much rather have him fighting for me than me fighting for me. Amen? Amen. So that's why we turn the other cheek. That was worth coming to church for just to get that right there. See, if we're not going to turn the other cheek, then we put the boxing gloves on and we fight for ourselves. We'll probably lose. But if we turn the other cheek, then he puts his boxing gloves on. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. And then he'll go to work for you. Amen. Notice verse 20. If, if your enemy's hungry, starve him some more. No. If he's hungry, what? If he's thirsty, take his canteen away from him. No. Give him what? 
Give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be what? Overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's read that together. Say, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then the last thing is found in 1 John 4, 1, and then we'll close. 1 John 4, 1. So many Christians are not God-inside-minded. And this is another reason that Christians don't overcome as they should. We'll close with this. 1 John 4, 1. You are of God, little children, and have what? And have... What's that next word? And have what? You are... Isn't this 1 John 4, 1? Is it 1, 4? Is it 4-4? Can I get a witness? Come on, somebody help me. Get in the spirit. 1 John 4-11? Come on, help me out, you Bible scholars. I made a mistake, didn't I? You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. 4-4? Is it first? Try 1 John 4-4. That's what I was, that's what I meant to say. It's Brian's fault. He started this a while ago and now it got off on me. <laughs> you are of God, little children. The, the, the lady back there did the right thing. I, I goofed up. First John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have what? Overcome, Overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who... Let's look at that again. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We need to be God inside minded. See, when we get saved, Jesus takes up residency. The Holy Spirit takes up residency within us. Is that right? We need to be God inside minded. And know that because he's in there, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. So I'm an overcomer. Amen? Amen. Did you get anything out of this today? Amen. Amen. Was it okay? How many of you want to overcome? Praise God forevermore. Hallelujah. Well, stand with me.